Hey guys, it's Callan. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Imperfect Me Women. Today's guest on the podcast is Crystal Smith, and she talks about her experience with multiple miscarriages and infertility, and kind of uh, trying to race time as she got older, trying to have another baby. And I know that this is something that so many women can relate to and have gone through and often something that's difficult for women to talk about. And I just know it's so important for us to continue to talk about it, to erase the taboo and let women have a safe space to share their stories and the grief that they go through because it is real grief. And you'll see that as you listen to Crystal's story and she's vulnerable and brave and raw and um, opens up about a lot of things that women go through in these experiences. So have a listen and learn and grow and uh, connect as you listen to her story. And I'm so grateful that she was willing to share. Crystal is a stay-at-home mom to two energetic boys. Cooper is nine and Hudson is five. She worked in corporate accounting before leaving her beloved career of 14 years to focus on her lifelong dream of being a mother. While she enjoys gardening, do-it-yourself projects, and outdoor activities with her family, she finds the most joy and fulfillment from connecting with others through acts of kindness. Seven years ago, she set the goal to serve at least one person outside her home each week and has been able to keep that commitment to herself most weeks. That one goal has brought her more happiness than any hobby ever could. I think that is so awesome for you to set such a goal. I don't think I serve people that much. <laughs> so <laughs> I think it's amazing that you're able to come up with something new to do for somebody each week. It's not that difficult once you start looking around. It just kind of falls in my lap most times. So, Yeah, that's amazing. Well, so I know that you have a really neat and um, good story to share with our listeners today. So I, I'm just going to turn the time over to you for that. Thank you. So, and by the way, I'm just really honored to even um, do this. So thank you for reaching out to me about it. Of course. So um, what I wanted to share was my experience with kind of infertility and miscarriage Obviously, I have two kids, so we were successful at some point um, having mm -hmm. children, but it definitely was a journey, and I just learned a lot through the whole experience, so I just wanted to share some of that, and I know there are others with, you know, who struggle with infertility in a whole different way, so I, sometimes I feel guilty even feeling some of the things I feel about it because, you know, others struggle to the point that they never even can conceive children. So right. infertility is, it is just such a wide topic, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and so I think you have to kind of own your own experience with that though. You know, it was hard. It was hard for you in your own way. Right. Exactly. So this is just my little side of it. So um, my husband and I, when we first got married, we um, weren't trying for kids right off. I wasn't super young. We got married when I was 26. So mm -hmm. um, we didn't start trying to get pregnant 
I think is about three years and we're trying, but not like, you know, tracking everything or whatever. And I got pregnant and didn't even realize I was pregnant until I started miscarrying, which was right at like five or six weeks, somewhere in there. So Mm -hmm. really early on, barely even knew what was going on, realized, oh, this is a miscarriage, not like a regular cycle. Right. So that was hard. I remember being really upset, just, and disappointed, you know, that this had happened. And so, because my whole life, even as a little, when I was a little girl, I used to sing this song, when I grow up, I want to be a mother. And Mm -hmm. it's a super cheesy song, but I loved it. And I sang it all the time. (laughs) Uh And it's just something I always wanted to do. So that was, that, that was hard, that first miscarriage. Um, And we kind of took a step back after that. My husband was just about to go to grad school. So we didn't really try again for a while. Mm -hmm. After grad school or towards the end, we're like, okay, let's, you know, start trying to get pregnant. This is just a couple years later. And it took us like over a year and we were not getting pregnant. So we made a an appointment with an infertility specialist and two days before my appointment found out I was pregnant with my first child. (laughs) Dang. So that was like the best phone call ever to call and say, Hey, I'm not coming. (laughs) Guess what? I got pregnant. Um, So that was fantastic. And, you know, he was born and everything's great. So, you know, a few years later we decide we want to have another. We'd always dreamed about having like three or four kids. So, you know, clock mm-hmm. is ticking. I'm now like 32-ish. So um, we go ahead and start trying to get pregnant. And once again, it's just not happening. It's like taking more than a year. And I feel like the clock is ticking even more. And so mm-hmm. I talked to my doctor about what I should do. And that's when I quit work. I left my career. He said, look, you need to reduce some stress in your life. What's your biggest mm-hmm. stress? obviously working and having a child. I had this like crazy commute. So I quit work, Mm -hmm. reduced my stress within like six months. I got pregnant. (laughs) Hallelujah. Yay. Second child is born, you know, so great. So then after he was born, I was like 34 and I had always told my husband, I don't want to have kids after I'm 36 because at Mm -hmm. 36, you're considered high risk. And I said, I'm not going to ever start off a pregnancy already being high risk. That's just crazy. You know, if I can help it. So I said, we need to start trying like right away. And so we did. And about a year later, um, it was like, I don't know. I got pregnant when my son was not quite a year old, which was kind of terrifying. (laughs) But... um, (laughs) I was excited. I was like, you know, I'm already in baby mode. Let's just knock these babies out and we'll just get it all done with all in one fell swoop. Mm -hmm. Um, With that pregnancy, I started spotting at like six weeks Mm. and I went in and, you know, they do all these tests to see how the pregnancy is going. And if the HCG hormone is going up and rising every day, then it's a good sign that the pregnancy is still viable and things are still right. moving along because that early on it's, it's too early to even have a heartbeat. So they can't right. really tell. 
So we went in and did that, and of course my HCG is rising, and so they were optimistic. But meanwhile, my progesterone was tanking, which is a really mm. bad sign. So mm -hmm. they put me on progesterone supplements, and I did that. But a few weeks later, at nine weeks, I miscarried. Uh. And, you know... Having gone through that first miscarriage, I was, like, confident, you know, my body's going to take care of this. I don't really want to do, like, surgery or any kind of medical intervention. I'm just going to let things go on their own. Mm. Well, little did I know the difference between a six, five- or six-week miscarriage and a nine-week miscarriage. <laughs> yeah. So that process was, like, not only super emotional, because here I was excited to have another child and... This time it didn't take us so long to get pregnant. And, you know, I was just starting to get really excited. And um, anyway, yeah. that miscarriage was horrific. It lasted like mm -hmm. two and a half weeks. I didn't even know a miscarriage could last that long. <laughs> I had no mm -hmm. idea. I thought it was like, you know, just a few days and it'd be over with. Um so at the end of two weeks, I still wasn't like totally done with it. And so they gave me this supplement to, or this medication to kick it into gear, which was awful. The, the physical side effects mm -hmm. of it were just terrible. Basically put my body into labor and I was at home and it was just like one of the most horrific things emotionally and physically I ever went through. So... Yeah. I finally get past that, you know, and try and move on. And I was still pretty optimistic about pregnancy. And so I said to my husband, you know, let's try again. You know, the likelihood is that we'll get pregnant again. We know we can get pregnant. So let's just keep trying. Right. So we did. We continued to try. But it wasn't right off. He was worried about me going through that again and... You know, it's kind of a big thing to lose yeah. a pregnancy. And I think it's it's obviously hard on the women, but it's also hard on the husband as well. Like, mm -hmm. but it's harder for them to express that, I guess. So we were just, yeah. um, you know, dealing with this and going back and forth on whether or not we should be trying again and but we both really felt like we, we wanted a third child. That was the right thing for us. And so we just continued and it was a long time before I got pregnant again. It was like two years. Wow. So by this time I'm like 37, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm like, great. Here I am. I swore I would never be pregnant past 36 and here I am still trying. And so we get pregnant Again, which was so fantastic. You know, hallelujah, yeah. we're finally pregnant. And so I was over the moon excited, but super nervous. Mm -hmm. And I was optimistic, though, because you read all these stories about like, oh, I had a miscarriage. And then like a few months later, I have my rainbow pregnancy. Right. Um, so I just kept holding on to that, that, you know what, I'm going to have my rainbow baby and everything's going to work out. And... So even though in the back of my mind, I kept thinking, be careful, this might not work, don't get excited. You know, I just couldn't help but get excited. And right. 
of course, after this, you know, this is my fifth pregnancy. So my body just like shows really quickly when I get pregnant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, people started asking if I was pregnant and I get super duper nauseous, you know, fun morning sickness right. all day. So it's hard to hide it. And so, you know, I had friends who started asking. And so I started saying like, yeah, I'm, I'm pregnant. So right at that same time, I had one of my good friends who was um, battling ovarian cancer and she passed away April of that year, April, what was it? 2016. Hmm. And that was really hard losing one of my best friends yeah. and her boys were my boys ages pretty much. And we were really connected. So her death was really hard, but the, that whole week leading up to her funeral, I was like, okay, just get through the funeral because her funeral's Thursday. And then the following Monday is your 12 week ultrasound. And then you get to announce the baby to everyone. And you finally made it through that first trimester and we can just put all this behind us and move right. on and look forward to something exciting. It was the thing that you kind of were looking forward to, to the future as far as what kept you grounded during your friend's funeral. Exactly. It was just kind of my way of dealing with that, that grief. Right. So I, um, you know, and I consider myself a pretty optimistic person. I'm always trying to look on the bright side. If someone says something to me, you know, I'll be like, yeah, but have you looked at it this way? You know, <laughs> that's what my friends always tell me anyway. So <laughs> I don't know if I believe that about myself, but that's what people tell me. So I just kept plugging along. And so her funeral was Thursday and Sunday afternoon I started cramping and I was like, no, no, this is not a miscarriage, you know, totally in denial. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't started spotting or anything. So I was like, ah, it's probably just some cramps. Like I remember doing this with my other pregnancies. It's probably nothing. Mm -hmm. By Monday morning, I was dreading my ultrasound. And then like within an hour of my appointment, I started spotting. Oh my goodness. And so... I walk into the doctor's office and of course the receptionist knows me really well, you know, and yeah. I walk in and she comments on my cute little baby belly and I just about lost it mm. <laughs> because I was thinking I am losing this baby and you have no idea what emotions I'm dealing with right now. Yeah. Um, of course it wasn't her fault. She, she didn't know. Mm -hmm. So my husband was with me. I had him go because I was really worried about it. Not, being okay. Mm -hmm. And so we walk into the, the room and I sit down for the ultrasound and I tell the lady, I'm pretty sure I'm losing this baby. So I'm going to tell you right now, you know, just be prepared for that. So I can be prepared right. that when you take this ultrasound, it's not going to be a happy outcome. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so she takes the ultrasound and Sure enough. And there, you know, on the screen, I can see my little baby oh. totally perfectly on the screen and there's no heartbeat. And so she says, I'm sorry, you're right. There's no viable heartbeat. I'll give you a few minutes. So, of course, I just lose it. You know, as soon as she walks out of the room, I'm just an ugly, sobbing mess. How could you not? Um, it's just heartbreaking. 
yeah, it was like one of the most devastating moments of my life. So anyway, we, we wrap things up, you know, finish all of that with the doctor. And I decided this time I'm not going through this naturally, right. <laughs> you know, I'm further along than last time. So yes, I want medical invention intervention, you know, let's do a D&E and just be done. Right. So we scheduled that surgery for, um, I don't know if it was the next day or two days later. So we go home and, you know, I'm grieving and but still having to be a mom. And now I've got to like tell all my family and friends who knew I was pregnant. Right. Which was kind of consoling. People always say, don't tell people you're pregnant because then if it goes, you know, you have a miscarriage, you're going to have to tell everybody. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was better to have that network of people yeah, who, who know knew. what you were going through. Yeah, yeah, because I need that support. I'm definitely a person who doesn't deal with things on my own mm-hmm. very well. I need to talk it out, and I need to be with somebody and, and have someone hear it. Um, so that whole day, I was in bed, and I was just like, phone call after phone call and texting my phone just blowing up you know yeah and I found out I just kind of wanted to be alone and didn't really want to deal with it mm-hmm. so I just kind of like turned off my phone after a while which drove my mom and my sisters crazy you know <laughs> yeah because they're worried about you Mm-hmm. so I just um I was just kind of trying to process what was happening and I decided I wanted to call the doctor and find out I had had a blood test at 10 weeks that mm-hmm. could tell us the gender. And mm-hmm. so I called and said, can you just tell me the gender? I know I'm miscarrying. It's not viable, but I just want to know, you right. know, is it a boy or a girl? And so they told me it was a girl. Mm-hmm. And that was really hard, knowing that I had two boys and now I'm losing this baby girl. And... It was just, it was such a letdown to know Mm -hmm. that, you know, that that was going to be my daughter that I had dreamed of having. And now she was gone before she Mm -hmm. even really existed. She was gone, you know? So I, um, I was just trying to process all of this. Well, that night I started cramping really badly and ended up, my body basically went into labor, um, at like, I don't know, 11 o'clock at night. And I knew what was happening after having two kids. I knew what labor was. And so I woke up my husband and said, I'm in labor. I know we're supposed to be at the hospital at 6 a.m. for my surgery. Um, But I need you to call the doctor because, you know, I had C-sections with them. And so I was like, you know, I'm just kind of worried. So we call them. Of course, they say, go to the hospital. Too many Mm -hmm. uh, chances of problems risks yeah yeah so just go ahead and go to the hospital so I went to the hospital expecting to you know get some pain medication or something and they couldn't give me anything until they could get a hold of the doctor because I had surgery scheduled and so they didn't want to give me something that would interfere with with that happening later on Mm -hmm. so here I was just laboring in this hospital room all night um and it was like way more intense than even labor was with my first child. But I think what made it hard was not just the physical part, but knowing that this labor was not going to end with a baby. 
Right. There was this labor didn't seem like it had as much meaning or like purpose to it. Like that's yeah, what gets you just, through the, the pain is the excitement at the end. Right. So this was just pure agony for the sake of agony. Mm. You know, it was yeah. nothing good was coming of it. And they ended up giving me some morphine after hours and hours. I think it was like four or five hours later, almost right oh, before goodness. I was supposed to go to surgery, which basically took the edge off and like knocked me out in between the contractions, but I still was aware, you know, and was, it was still painful. So anyway, we go in, we have surgery and I come out and I'm, you know, everything is fine. And, um, I'm in recovery and I woke up and realized that she's now really gone. You know, I am no longer pregnant. It's over. And I remember I came home from the hospital and my mom called me because we, I live across the country from her. And so she called to see how I was doing. And I said, mom, I've never felt so empty in my life. I just feel completely devoid of everything. And she, she never um, experienced a miscarriage. She kind of like maybe had a miscarriage in between right before she got pregnant with one of my siblings, but they weren't sure anyway. So she didn't Mm -hmm. really understand what I was going through. And I think that's what I learned along the way is that you can tell when you're talking to someone and you, you know, you say, Oh, I had a miscarriage, you know, immediately from their response, whether or not they've experienced one. Right. Right. It's just a completely different empathy, you know, empathy Mm -hmm. versus sympathy, I guess. So, um, it was really hard and my mom and my sister, one of my sisters were, um, were really worried about me emotionally and, you know, mentally mm-hmm. because I had just experienced this death of my friend and now I've had this miscarriage. And so they flew out to visit me and spend time with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were here for about a week, which was nice. You know, it was really nice to have my mom around while I was recovering and, I could tell they were worried about me. And so I tried to just talk about it in a healthy way and just tried to, you know, overcome what I was feeling and trying to move on in a way. Right. And we had a good week. It was, it was really fun time together. And then um, about a month later, I think it was like Memorial Day, I went to visit my sister for that weekend. And one of my other sisters came out. And we were at the beach having a good time and they knew I was still struggling with Mm -hmm. this grief of this miscarriage. And so they were really sweet. And we had this kind of little memorial on the beach. They just lit a candle and read this cute little poem about that. My sister found about a miscarriage and um, you know, then we blew out the candle and had a good cry together. And it was kind of like, okay, this should give you some closure let's kind of help you move on. Right. And it was a nice, it was a nice moment together and I really appreciated it. But in my mind, I was like, I'm never going to get over this. Mm -hmm. Like this is now a part of my life. And I kind of understood in a small way what people mean when they, when they lose someone close to them. Um, and they say 
you just learn to live with the grief. Yeah, the grief becomes a part of you. Yeah, I had never experienced that before. You know, people I had lost had always been like old grandparents who lived a nice long life or whatever. Right, right. So this is a whole new thing. But I felt bad saying that because this was a baby that never even took its first breath. So like, how could Mm. I say that I was feeling that level of grief when it was someone who was never even really a person? Right. So I felt guilty about feeling grief. Yeah, which I think is such a common thing when you have stillborns or miscarriage because there's this almost imposter syndrome associated with that where you're like, but it's not the same type of grief as everybody else. And I didn't like quote unquote lose a child, Mm -hmm. which would be awful. And so can, is it, do I really have a place in this grief world with everybody else or should I be more reasonable about this? Right. Exactly. It's just so unfair. It's so unfair because not only then are you dealing with grief, which is a very normal and natural emotion to something like that. Then you're having to sit there and question it. You don't even feel valid in your grief, Mm -hmm. which is just so hard. And I felt like the more I tried to talk about it um, to my mom, my sisters, my friends, you know, as time went on, you know, here we are like two, three, four months later, and I'm still talking about it because that's what I need to do. I'm a talker and I need to talk it out. And they would always be like, they never said it, but I could tell they were like, you're still thinking about this? Like, haven't you got over this by now? You know? Yeah. And... So then I stopped talking about it. And so after that Memorial Day, we went away for the summer. We always travel out in the summer and go hang out with family and whatever. So I had that whole summer where I could just kind of push my grief to the back. I didn't have to really face it. We were doing all these fun things. I was having a good time. And I was happy. But deep Mm -hmm. down inside, I just had this, this pit just sitting there. And I was, I just kept ignoring it, you know, hoping it would go away after time. Um, So after the summer, we got back and I always, after visiting family for most of the summer, and then coming home to where I have no family, I always kind of go through, I know myself, I'm going to go through this like, three week period of kind of an emotional letdown of, okay, now we're back on our own. You know, I don't have my family around, my mom and my sisters. And I go through like a little bit of a depression and I know it's going to happen. And so I always expect it. But when we came home that summer, it was like all that grief that I had been pushing down and feeling guilty about just surfaced. It just came bubbling up to the top. Mm -hmm. And so I started trying to figure out how to deal with that on my own and just realizing that there's just not a good outlet for women who go through this. Um, You know, and then, and then I felt guilty, like, goodness, this wasn't even like a second trimester or third trimester miscarriage or a stillborn, you know, this was just a 12 week miscarriage. But like, does that make it just, you know, is it just a 12 week miscarriage? Should we have to qualify that or can it just be what it is, which is grief? Right, exactly. So there was just so much going on in my mind. And then as I'm starting to process this, my husband's grandmother passes away. 
And so this was in October. So we drive up there. I was like, oh my gosh, 2016 is the year of death. Like who else around me is going to die? You know, I just, there was just so much. That whole year was just this grief stricken mourning period for our family. And so we, we drive up the coast up to Boston. Um, we live in North Carolina. So we drive all the way up there and go to her funeral. And on the way home, um, we're like driving in the car. My kids are just being naughty and, you know, they, they've had it after being to a funeral and driving all these right. hours and whatever. So we're in the car and I just start to sob and my husband pulls over at this gas station and I'm just like losing it. And he's like, what is the matter with you? You know, like something is really wrong and I have no idea what it is. And I turned to him and I said, don't you realize today was my due date? And I, I just, I just lost it. And it was like everything I had been holding in for all those six months just came pouring out of me in an unhealthy way, <laughs> you know, yeah. probably not the best way or the yeah. best moment to be dealing with. They that. had to come and, out some way. So they were coming out. And I had been dreading that day that whole time we were up there. I was yeah. like, I know my due date's coming. And, Which is a very common thing as well. I mean, yeah. due dates are really, really hard after something like that. So that, that was, um, that was difficult. And then we came home and, you know, then it's the holidays and whatever. And so I just kept like pushing the rest of these emotions off, hoping that over time it would just go away or I would figure out some other, you know, way to deal with it. And looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, I should have had therapy. Like, <laughs> that's what Isn't I that needed, funny you know? how in hindsight we're like, dang it, why didn't I think of that? Yeah. And my husband knew something was wrong. He could tell that like the real true me that wasn't putting on a face for everyone was really struggling with something. Yeah. Um, and he kept asking me, are you okay? Are you okay? And you know, I would just say yeah or no. So among all of this, we're trying to decide whether or not to try again. Mm. And around about October, we um, had decided, you know what, let's do try again. And I said, but you know what, we probably need to go to a fertility specialist. Something, something is going on. You know, mm -hmm. obviously there's something here that's causing this to happen. So we went to a fertility specialist like that November and, you know, had all the tests done and whatever. And the conclusion was there's nothing really wrong. You both could be slightly healthier, but, you know, we really can't find anything wrong. Like he was all of his sperm counts and motility and like everything was perfect. My mm -hmm. eggs looked like I was five years younger than I actually was. So they were basically like, we don't really know why you keep miscarrying um, and why it takes you so long to get pregnant. <laughs> I was just like, mm -hmm. seriously? Oh, that's so frustrating. I really wanted an answer. Like I expected them to give me an answer. And I was just like, no. <laughs> yeah. Like, what am I paying you for? Um, right. <laughs> so then they said, well, you know, you are an ideal candidate for IVF. And so we were like, oh. And then with all the medical expense I had had earlier in the year with the miscarriage that ended up being, 
you know, this giant bill, which by the way, just added like insult injury when I got that bill. Right. Um, yeah. Right. That's- it worked out that IVF was going to cost us like a thousand dollars out of pocket and the rest would be paid for. So we wow. started looking at that and we were getting everything ready and it was like right around Thanksgiving and Christmas and, you know, trying to deal with the holidays and dealing with starting IVF. And it was so stressful. And, but I was like, nope, we want a third child. And they had told us we had probably a 10% or less chance of conceiving on our own at that point. Um, And then there would be like a Mm -hmm. 60% chance of miscarriage if we successfully conceived on our own with that 10% chance. And with IVF, it would be like an 80% mm-hmm. chance of conceiving. But then again, it would be a 60% chance of miscarriage. So I was just mm-hmm. like thinking about all of this. And right before I was supposed to start all the injections and all the like really crazy stuff um, to go have my eggs harvested and everything, I just had this like super foreboding feeling. And... I just kept thinking about it and thinking about it. And I just thought, this is not the right way for us to go. I I shouldn't do this. For some reason, Mm -hmm. this just doesn't feel, it's not sitting right. And I talked to my husband and he at this point is kind of like, listen, whatever you want, crazy lady, you know. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, if you want a child, if you don't want a child, whatever you want, like I'm good with it. Just, just can I have my wife back, (laughs) you know. Right, right. And so I canceled all the IVF. I said, I just, I just really don't feel good about it. And, you know, I made that phone call that Monday morning to the nurse and she was like, are you crazy? No one has IVF paid for. And like, no one has that good of a chance of conception. Like, you guys are nuts. And I was kind of like, I don't know. I just, I just really don't feel good about it. And the minute I said and made that decision, like ultimately, we're closing this door. We're not doing IVF. I just felt this weight was lifted. And so I kind of knew it was the right decision, but didn't really understand why. So we just kept moving on like, okay, we're just trying to keep trying, you know, meanwhile, I'm just getting older Mm -hmm. and older. And so, you know, every month as we're trying and my period comes and I'm not pregnant, it was like this emotional roller coaster that I just mm-hmm. couldn't stay on anymore. <laughs> you know, I had had enough. Yeah, it just became too much. Yeah. And so one day I just, I just sat on my bed and I had this, um, this picture that some friends had given me when I had gone through my miscarriage. And I looked at this picture of this baby and I just, I had a really good cry And I just said, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm so sorry, baby girl. I have to move on. You know, I can't, I can't be stuck in this moment forever. And so I had had that picture up on my dresser like that whole year. This was almost an entire year later. And I took the picture with my ultrasound pictures from, you know, the weeks before that, that last ultrasound and just went and tucked them Mm -hmm. away and said, okay, I'm closing this door. I'm done. And I went to my husband and I said, we're done trying to conceive. We're done having kids. We have two perfectly healthy, wonderful boys who totally keep me busy. 
And I need to close this door because I, I just can't mentally and emotionally ride this roller coaster mm-hmm. anymore. It's, it's too much. Yeah. So, you know, I look back and think like, was that the best way to handle it? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, who's to say at that point? I mean, I feel like any way that you were able to gain closure and peace and get what you needed was the right way to handle it. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of ironic that we're doing this interview today because today is three years to wow. the day of that miscarriage, which I realized this morning. <sighs> That's amazing. I mean, that is super ironic and kind of mm-hmm. powerful. Yeah. Of all the days we yeah. could have picked. Right. <laughs> so, you know, my point of sharing this whole story was just that, that feeling that guilt for feeling that grief and even feeling the, the frustration over my own infertility, which didn't seem mm-hmm. that severe, but to me it was extremely yeah. severe, you know, and, and just, there's not a lot out there. You know, the, the more you, you look into women who have had miscarriages, there's just not a lot of good outlets of, of knowing how to deal with yeah. all of that. And I, I don't have a lot of good answers, yeah. obviously. Yeah, well, it's so, like we said, it's so hard because it's so untraditional as far as grief goes. Like you, you know, I've had a friend who went through a miscarriage and it was so hard for her not to have something physical. Like you, you know, when you have a friend mm-hmm. or a family member pass away, you get a tombstone where you can go and visit the tombstone and the gravesite every once in a while when you're feeling low. But with miscarriage, there's nothing like that. I mean, maybe you can take out some old ultrasound pictures or something, but but there's nothing that's, you know, physical that you can connect to and really look back on. And like you said, it's there's nothing that anybody else can see either. You know, nobody else is really going to be able to relate right. to that grief and that pain like they would with a normal family member passing away. Right. And it's really hard for people to understand, like, you know, even to this day, people, you know, when they meet me will say, oh, how many kids do you have? And of course I say two, but I really want to say three or four, you know, whatever, you know, it's like, do with that. And even my, my son, my older son, he knew I was pregnant. We had told him because, you know, I was super sick and needed help of him helping with the younger one. And, he was old enough to understand and I figured he was old enough to understand if we miscarried and he could process that. And so he will still say like, well, what about Mm -hmm. my sister? You know, and, and and that's his way of, of dealing with it and understanding it. And, you know, sometimes I question whether or not that was a good idea for him to know. Um, but, you know, it, it's just hard. And you never know. It just is one of those things where you just never know what people mm-hmm. are carrying around with them, you know, what what life experiences they have had and what hidden things yeah. are in their heart that you just don't know well, about. I don't think anybody... Because um, everything yeah. can seem good. I don't think anybody can sit here and listen to the story that you just shared and not feel like it's valid, you know? And that's, I think, if anything else, maybe right. taking away from from this story and your, your experience that this is 100% a valid thing. And 
it's valid grief and it's real and it's raw and it's very, very hard to go through. So I think we, we as a society can do a much better job of opening up space for um, parents who go through this to grief and to, like you said, kind of not just expect them to get over it and move on. Mm-hmm. It was interesting. I was talking to my grandmother who's now, you know, 90 something. And back before they were able to conceive their children, she went through six, five or six miscarriages. And when I was talking to her one day, um, she had said that back then it was something that was just like completely Mm -hmm. unspoken. It was hard for her to even talk about it with her own husband. And I said, grandma, how did you go through that six times? How did you deal with that emotionally? And she just kind of blankly stared at me. And I said, I understand, you know, it's still there after 60 some odd years. It's still there because it's grief. And that's the like grief is never going to leave you. It's going to stay with you and become a part of you and change you. And that's okay. I mean, that just means that mm-hmm. there was a piece of you that really loved that child. And yeah. now you have to deal with not ever being able to meet them. Yeah. So, <laughs> so there we are, you know, it's, there's not like some nice little beautiful happy ending to tie a bow right. around at the end of it. Um, it's just kind of there. And I'm at this realization, you know, now I, I just had my 40th birthday a few months ago and I'm like, yeah, this is, this is really mm-hmm. it for us. You know, as far as having kids, um, my dream of having three or four kids is never going to be, I mean, obviously there's other avenues we can look into about right. adopting or fostering and, you know, the door is not completely closed per se, but as far as conceiving yeah. my own children, no matter what, it's going to look a lot different than you ever expected it to. Yeah. Right. So yeah, um, I just think that we, we need to give, give women more of an outlet. Um, and, and really, I just think it's so important for our own mental health to be able to, to just speak about these things and not feel yeah. guilty about them. Yeah, kind of as a a last closing up question to somebody going through this right now or later or somebody that's been through this, what would you, what kind of advice would you give them? What do you think would, would be helpful to say to them? I would say seek out a mental health Mm -hmm. professional. Um, I really, I really went through a really dark time and realized for myself kind of when I had kind of hit like my rock bottom, um, mentally and emotionally and had the strength to pull myself up out of that somehow. Um, I feel like my religion had a lot to do with my recovery Mm -hmm. from that, but you know, there has to be some way to to reach out to someone or something 
else outside of yourself that's going to help you out of it because I don't think you can do it on your yeah. own completely. Well, and it sounds like too, just to acknowledge that this is a valid thing that you're going through and that you're not crazy and that Absolutely. there's nothing wrong with you for feeling this way. Right. And I always say, you know, women, when they conceive a child, they're instantly bonded to that child. Like the minute you find out you're mm -hmm. pregnant, there's just something within you that says, this is my child. Yeah, I'm connected to, you. to him or her. Yeah. And so that was a, that was a real mm -hmm. connection, you know, and, and there's a lot of debate on, you know, whether or not it's a, a person or just right. an embryo or, you know, whatever, whatever your beliefs are, it doesn't matter. If you, if you listen to your heart of hearts inside, you know, you're connected to that, mm -hmm. that life. And so just to be able to acknowledge that it was a life, even though it was only in the womb, you know, and, and just, just have that acknowledgement to yourself and then to have others acknowledge it as well is yeah. super helpful. So, yeah. well, thank you so much, Crystal. Ugh, that was hard to hear, but also very powerful. And I'm, I'm really grateful that you were willing and open to coming on and sharing because I know like there's so many other women, like you said, there's just not very many resources and something like this could help another woman to not feel so alone. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thanks again for joining me on Imperfect Me Women. I hope that you were able to connect to Crystal's story as much as I did. I know after we got done with the interview, Crystal texted me and said, I'm worried that I just, you know, rambled about my story the whole time and that I didn't share enough about the things that I learned so that I could help people and really listening, it, listening to it back. I don't think it could have been more perfect <laughs> in its imperfection. I think that um, she said what she needed to say and shared her story in such a beautiful way that really will resonate with people who have gone through similar things. And for those of us who haven't, I know that I gained a better appreciation and understanding for what women go through as they experience these kinds of things. And so I'm so grateful again to her for that. If you want to find out more about Imperfect Me Women, you can visit my website at imperfectmewomen.com. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook under the handle Imperfect Me Women. And I also share lots of mental health, helpful tips, and exercises that you can use in your daily life to help continue to strive to be the person that you want to be. So if you'd like to find out more about me, check those links out and I'll be back in a couple of weeks with another awesome and perfect story.